Well, we will be in our second part of Mormonism tonight. Our discussion and our driving thought tonight is that Godhood requires perfection. The point of Mormonism is for you to become your own God. And uh, what we'll do here is we'll read the scripture, and then we, uh, how many of you enjoy cartoons? Okay, a few. We're going to look at about a five-minute snippet of a cartoon-slash-documentary called The Godmakers of uh, Mormonism. But before we, it's, I promise it will, it will make sense once we, you're like, we're coming to an apologetics series, and... We're looking at Mormonism and we're watching a cartoon, but it will, it will be good. But let's read our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, or chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, and verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims, what? Yeah, another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So the Jesus that the Apostle Paul taught, what would be some some attributes of who Christ is? The one that Paul taught. The Son of Right. God. Meaning big G, no other gods. Alright, good. Son of God. Attributes of this Jesus, this gospel. Pure and perfect. And so if Jesus is pure and perfect, Mormons would actually say, Yes, he did a great job, but you also can become pure and perfect. So we believe exactly that Jesus is the sinless Son of God, but yet He is the only one who is sinless. So this is this is a good you know a good point to kind of stop and say, when we talk to Mormons, we have to understand we may use the same terminology, but they're loaded terms when they use it. They say God and we say God deity, God. And they say, yeah absolutely, but we think God as to the exclusion of everything else. They think he did a good job, millions of other beings have done a good job at becoming a god, and you can too. So what will be another aspect? We know that he is the son of God, sinless, perfect. The Savior. Okay, now, if Jesus is the Savior, then what does that say about us, if we're looking at the Bible? What's that? Exactly. So here's the thing. If I need a Savior, then what does that say about my ability to save myself? Exactly. So if I need a Savior, then I can't become a God. Why can't I become a God? A million reasons, but I mean, really, you know, really, you could just kind of use that point. 
But yeah, I am I'm a sinner and there's no way that I can extradite myself from my own sin or change my own nature. Whereas in Mormonism, they believe that you can't achieve Godhood. What would be another aspect of, of this Jesus or the gospel of Jesus that the Apostle Paul teaches? Right. Oh, okay. So Jesus has always been. Okay. And as we'll see in just a few moments from this video, Jesus is considered in Mormonism the brother of Satan. Alright? Now, right before we, we look at this, and we'll cut the lights down, if any of this stuff you have difficulty following the logical connection, that's because there is no logical connection. Alright? And we're not trying to, to make a... a you know, a comic strip out of Mormonism, but it is just really, really, really bizarre stuff. And I'm, we're trying to be as nice as we can, but it's like a pipe dream from Scripture. Like if you took certain characters and certain ideas from the Bible and then just had a pipe dream, that's what it would turn out like. Okay, y'all ready for this? All right, here we go. Mormonism teaches that trillions of planets scattered throughout the cosmos are ruled by countless gods who once were human like us. They say that long ago on one of these planets, to an unidentified god and one of his goddess wives, a spirit child named Elohim was conceived. This spirit child was later born to human parents who gave him a physical body. Through obedience to Mormon teaching and death and resurrection, he proved himself worthy and was elevated to godhood as his father before him. Mormons believe that Elohim is their heavenly father and that he lives with his many goddess wives on a planet near a mysterious star called Korah. Here the god of Mormonism and his wives through endless celestial sex produced billions of spirit children. To decide their destiny, the head of the Mormon gods called a great heavenly council meeting. Both of Elohim's eldest sons were there, Lucifer and his brother Jesus. A plan was presented to build planet Earth, where the spirit children would be sent to take on mortal bodies and learn good from evil. Lucifer stood and made his bid for becoming savior of this new world. Wanting the glory for himself, he planned to force everyone to become gods. Opposing the idea, the Mormon Jesus suggested giving man his freedom of choice, as on other planets. The vote that followed approved the proposal of the Mormon Jesus, who would become savior of the planet Earth. Enraged, Lucifer cunningly convinced one-third of the spirits destined for Earth to fight with him in revolt. Thus, Lucifer became the devil and his followers the demons. Sent to this world, they would forever be denied bodies of flesh and bone. Those who remained neutral in the battle were cursed to be born with black skin. This is the Mormon explanation for the Negro race. The spirits that fought most valiantly against Lucifer would be born into Mormon families on planet Earth. These would be the lighter-skinned people, or white and delightsome, as the Book of Mormon describes them. 
Early Mormon prophets taught that Elohim and one of his goddess wives came to earth as Adam and Eve to start the human race. Thousands of years later, Elohim, in human form once again, journeyed to earth from the star base Koach, this time to have sex with the Virgin Mary, in order to provide Jesus with a physical body. Mormon apostle Orson Pratt taught that after Jesus Christ grew to manhood, he took at least three wives, Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene. Through these wives, the Mormon Jesus, for whom Joseph Smith claimed direct descent, supposedly fathered a number of children before he was crucified. According to the Book of Mormon, after his resurrection, Jesus came to the Americas to preach to the Indians, who the Mormons believe are really Israelites. Thus, the Jesus of Mormonism established his church in the Americas as he had in Palestine. By the year 421 A.D., the dark-skinned Indian Israelites, known as Lamanites, had destroyed all of the white Nephites in a number of great battles. The Nephites' records were supposedly written on golden plates and buried by Moroni, the last living Nephite in the hill Cumorah. Fourteen hundred years later, a young treasure seeker named Joseph Smith who was known for his tall tales, claimed to have uncovered these same gold plates near his home in upstate New York. He is now honored by Mormons as a prophet because he claimed to have had visions from the spirit world in which he was commanded to organize the Mormon church because all Christian creeds were an abomination. It was Joseph Smith who originated most of these peculiar doctrines which millions today believe to be true. By maintaining a rigid code of financial and moral requirements and through performing sacred temple rituals for themselves and the dead, the Latter-day Saints hope to prove their worthiness and thus become gods. The Mormons teach that everyone must stand at the final judgment before Joseph Smith, the Mormon Jesus, and Elohim. Those Mormons who were sealed in the eternal marriage ceremony expect to become polygamous gods in the celestial kingdom, rule over other planets, and spawn new families throughout eternity. The Mormons thank God for Joseph Smith, who claimed that he had done more for us than any other man, including Jesus Christ. The Mormons believe that he died as a martyr, shed his blood for us, so that we too may become gods. Which parts of that snippet of Mormonism stood out to you? <clears throat> Particularly inflammatory points. <laughs> See, th this, is, this is the point to where when I put that on, on social media that I was studying Mormonism and a friend said, 
that he has done, he did that before, and the only word that he could think of that kept recurring was wow. And I think, Sue, maybe you said that last week, or maybe it was, it was Helene, okay. And I, yeah, right, right. Religious fiction, that's, that's a great way to put it. And by the way, a lot of those claims, um, such as Jesus having multiple wives, all, you know where the source of that is? The Book of Mormon. And the source of the Book of Mormon directly is Joseph Smith. No other, no other connection to history in any, in any sense, but, um, did any, did any of you guys see a problem, um, with the concept of, um, of God, Elohim, and, uh, his multiple, numerous spirit wives, and the result of that was spirit children, and the spirit children would be given human bodies. Go with me on this thought. A lot of people are being born, right? Okay. And if God has a body, then he is confined to a body. And that's where philosophically, the Bible gives us so much room because God is a spirit, so he can, he's not confined to space and time like we are. But what, what do you think, and you don't have to say this, this is, this is definitely a rhetorical question, but with all the people that have been born and that are being born, and if God is confined to a body and every person that is born comes from a result of God and his union with one of his wives, then what occupies most of God's time? And then if we are, if we are to pray, then, then does God really have time to listen to our prayers? No. And in fact, that really breaks down mathematically um, in, in any sense, if you do the math, number of people born um, with that scenario. But anything, anything that you would like to comment on? Get it off your chest, lower your blood pressure at this point. We need to just move on. Uh, they've gotten away from it, but the original Mormon documents say that. And we're going to get to their position change on polygamy. Now they basically said that you have to practice polygamy to enter heaven or become a god, but yet today the official Mormon church doesn't teach that. So it's kind of like us going back and saying... Well, we need to change the parts of the Bible that say that salvation is only through by grace through faith. But um. that stuff in the Book of Mormon, the race thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much and so. The amazing thing to me is that the image they have, I guess, achieved in the public is they're basically another denomination. Exactly. Exactly. Have y'all seen this show, Sister Wives? Okay. Don't. Alright, a friend sent me, uh, she works for Southwestern Seminary and she sent me, she said, oh you're studying Mormon, have you seen, have you seen Sister Wives? And it's like a, a minute and a half trailer for this show and it's these, these, this guy who's practicing polygamy and this, this, this lady wants to marry him and she's like, I've always wanted to be on a team and I just really want to join this team and I'm like, say no to drugs. Like what, it, seriously, it, it was on, don't, don't, don't waste your time, but yeah, yeah. There's, there's still some Mormons outside the official church that practice that. Well, some things that we know about Joseph Smith, this is just a, just a little bit of review. He was very involved in occult practices. He was a womanizer. It was 30 plus, I don't remember the exact number of uh, 
wives or we could say female companions from last week, but I think it was 34 or 37, one of those two. So in other words, he outdid Mohammed several times over uh, in that regard. Uh, he never allowed anyone else to see the golden plates of the Book of Mormon. And uh, when Joseph Smith died, the jail was rushed by that crowd. He pulled out two pistols that had been smuggled to him and shot two men who were attacking him. And Mormons claimed that he died as a martyr. No, he didn't. Jesus could have killed every Roman and every Jewish leader in the world because he had legions of angels, but Jesus chose to willingly lay down his life. That's, that's a sacrifice. Taking out a couple of Saturday night specials and uh, taking down two guys is not the same thing. Here's a statement about uh, Mormonism. This is from Ed Decker. It's a really good book. I'd encourage you to pick up if you want to go deeper. It's called The Godmakers. And he says, quote, Unfortunately for the credibility of Mormonism, the entire structure is built upon Joseph Smith alone and either stands or falls with him. Here's this guy who shows up and says, The Bible's been translated wrong. All the denominations are wrong. I've got the answers. So you either have to believe that or reject it. And I'm just going to go on record and say that I reject it. Mormonism is, to me, the most wacky out of any of the groups that we've studied. So anybody remember last week, if you're here, when Joseph Smith began to really, his movement grew, he was there in Nauvoo, and there was this newspaper called the Nauvoo Expositor, and Joseph Smith and his group destroyed the printing press. And the question is, what did the press actually print to get him, uh, to cause him to do that? Here's just a small snippet, all right, of what the press published about Joseph Smith. Quote, it is, it should be, it is notorious fact that many females are requested to meet Brother Joseph or some of the twelve apostles at some insulated point or at some particularly described place on the bank of the Mississippi or at some room which wears upon its front positively no admittance after having been sworn in one of the most solemn manners never to never divulge what is revealed to them with a penalty of death attached that God Almighty has revealed it to him that she should be his, quote, spiritual wife for it was right anciently and God will tolerate it again but we must keep those pleasures and blessings from the world for until there is a change in government we will endanger ourselves by practicing it. Now, this is somewhere around the neighborhood of 1844, and America was yet to be politically correct. What type of trouble could you get in if this material was published about you and most people knew it to be true? You put in stocks, tar and feathered, have your neck stretched. Because in, and we're not saying that it was right or mob violence is, is, is God's will, but that's, that's what happened. So that's the reason why there was the violence in that, that sense. So let's move on to God. Uh, in Mormonism, there are four sources of authority. The Bible, number one, is accurate, quote, as far as it is translated correctly. Number two, the Book of Mormon is the most correct book. In other words, if you've got a choice between the Bible and the Book of Mormon, Book of Mormon wins hands down. Number three, the Doctrine and Covenants. Number four, the Pearl of Great Price that clarifies teachings lost in the Bible. Okay? Um, how could the first premise here, the Bible, so far as it is translated correctly, how could that really give you... Um, 
some weasel room to create new doctrines. Right. Yeah. Especially if you don't know Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, but you're the one who's able to tell if the Bible's been translated correctly or not. And that seems very convenient. <clears throat> Brigham Young, Brigham Young University, taught that Adam was God and the father of Jesus, although modern Mormon leaders reject this idea. Mormons teach that God has a body of flesh and bone, bones as tangible as man's. This is from uh, Doctrines and Covenants 130, verse 22. It says, The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. The Son also, but the Holy Ghost, has not a body of flesh and bones, but as a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. What problems is there with God having a body? Absolutely. And you ever heard that statement, you know, man, the universe has been around a long time. God must be getting really, really old. If you are spirit, then you're not subject to decay. All of us, we can go look back at pictures and say, I'm not now like I once was at that point because we change, we decay. That's the nature of being of being flesh and blood. But if you're spirit, then you're not limited. But the problem here is huge that God has a body of flesh and blood. Authority within Mormonism. Mormon Sunday School literature, quote, when our leaders speak, the thinking has been done. Anybody see a problem there? Uh, when they propose a plan, it is God's plan. When they point the way, there is no other which is safe. When they give direction, it should mark the end of controversy. Okay. So anybody who says they want to think for you should probably turn around and go the other direction. See, a lot of this stuff is honestly on its face so so strange that we're like, really? Okay, so here is the question. What do Bible-believing Christians believe about God contradicting himself? What do you think? But that's from the Bible and it wasn't translated correctly. All right, okay. That's, 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 yeah, we're like, God... Is the, ma- is, is, is the maximally great being. God has no need. And some people say, and let's, let's never say this, and we need to correct this very kindly when we hear it, that God got lonely, and that's the reason why He created Adam and Eve. Not true. God has no lack in who He is. And furthermore, within the Trinity, there is a fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God could have never created anything and been totally at rest and totally at peace within Himself because He is a God. He doesn't need. We need. And whether we're a what about Bob need or whether we're just you know needing food need, we do. But within Mormonism, what God has said in Scripture can be changed if you're an apostle or a prophet of the Mormon church. So they would believe that, sure, the Bible is true, so long as it has been translated correctly. Sure, the Book of Mormon is true, but God can also speak from the leaders of the Mormon church. You know what that does? That gives you a very easy out to say, if you're in charge, anything you want, and it's on par with the Bible. God is all knowing, how could he contradict himself? Well, but see, you're working how off the... change his mind? 
but you're working off the premise of something that's been... No, no, seriously. But you're working off the premise of a God in Scripture, and that Scripture has not been translated correctly. What you need to do, Lee, is you just need to stop thinking because the authority stops here, and you need to believe what has been translated correctly. Because, see, I've had the burning bosom. Yeah, yeah. My bosom, I've had the, you know, the burning heart, and so therefore I know the testimony is true. But you're exactly right. I mean, you're exactly right that, that God, how can you get to the point that God actually contradicts himself? So, but then again, and our premise is true, our foundation is correct, that there is one God, supreme God over all. But within Mormonism, there's millions of gods. And if you do a good job, you can actually have your own planet. So... Well, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that and using that in evangelism. But um, this is something, all these notes will be up on, uh, uploaded probably before Sunday. Matt will get them up on the website. This is just a few differences here between the Book of Mormon um, and, uh, and Mormon doctrine. Um, there are loads of contradictions textually within the Book of Mormon. For example, uh, the Book of Mormon teaches that there is only one God. But Mormon doctrine, Mormonism teaches that there are many gods. In other words, if you explain the Book of Mormon further, um, Book of Mormon teaches that the Trinity is one God. Mormon doctrine, the Trinity is three separate gods. In other words, the Mormon doctrine represents what the Book of Mormon actually says. The Mormon doctrine are what the leaders say that the Book of Mormon says. And you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to see that these are massive, massive contradictions here. The Book of Mormon teaches that God is unchanging, but the Mormon doctrine teaches that God is increasing in knowledge. And if you've done any reading on open theism, that's the same thing. That God doesn't know the future, but he's doing a great job at learning how to predict God is a spirit, God has a form of a man, all so forth and so on. It gets pretty bizarre. But what do they teach about Christ? They teach that he is the brother of Lucifer or Satan. Uh, and that Satan wanted to, as we saw in the video, to eradicate free will, but Jesus wanted to affirm it. So a third of the spirit children followed Satan. Did you guys like the little, little uh, horns that came up, like the 1982 Technicolor stuff that was... That was worth watching the video, just that. Um, but this this right here, the section on Christ, is basically he's not the Savior. Ultimately, because you can save yourself. We could say that he is a Savior, but really the definition of a Savior, or the Savior, is that you're the only one. If everybody can save themselves, then you're basically a Savior teaching facilitator. Right? Like, I'm going to come and teach a seminar on how to save yourself. But if you're the Savior, you come and actually save. Well, they teach about man. They teach the pre-existence of the soul. In other words, we, uh, we existed long before we were born. The Bible does not teach that. That is actually the oldest pagan idea that you can find. You find it in Plato. In the Western world, you find it in Hinduism, that there is this world soul, that there are these souls out there, and they just need something to give them a body. All right, This is thoroughly anti-Christian to the core, and really not that creative. 
Um, there's a statement in Mormonism that goes, As man is, God once was, as God is, man can become. So once again, you can become your own God. Well, we'll see in just a moment if the clicker will actually work here. That, that you be you behave yourself and you be basically it's perfection. And it's very, very sad, um, as we'll see. Here's what Ed Decker and, and Dave Hunt will actually get to that in just a sec. They say the central belief both in Mormonism and paganism is the ancient dream that men can become gods, right? And that's that's what all pagan religions teach. Jesus called Satan, quote, a liar and the father of it. The, literally, the father of the lie. No greater lie could be conceived than that humans could become gods. Wouldn't you say that's the case? Because if God is the only one, then he's, he's God. I may have to, I may have to man that personally here. Here's what one of their former Mormon presidents say. Jerry, we've been burning this thing up with the slides, man, Sunday morning. Uh, quote, in each of us is the potentiality to become a God, pure, holy, true, influential, powerful, independent of earthly forces. We were in the beginning with God. Man can transform himself. He has in him the seeds of Godhood that can grow. He can lift him Self by his very bootstraps. So here we can go back old school, beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. How did Satan deceive Adam and Eve? Notice. That's, that's just like one of those fool me once. You know what I'm saying? Like, really? Verse 5, Genesis 3. For God, this is the the serpent, Satan. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. There you have it. From the beginning, it was a desire saying that you can become like God. So in other words, you can usurp the creator, created, divine. Get it again. Alright, question. Did Jesus ever offer Godhood to anyone? No. Can you imagine Jesus coming? I'm about to be tortured for the sins of the world because oh, you all can become your own gods. It wouldn't make any sense, right? I mean, if you think about it, why would you go through all of that? Well, I mean, just thinking about it, this is a great conversation part that you can engage with with, uh, with Mormons. Why would Jesus have to do that if we can become our own gods? Why, and if, unless that we all have to be crucified, and Mormonism doesn't teach that, but really, did he have to go through all of that to show us that we can do the same thing without that? Don't they, don't they believe, um, cause I, and that's the thing that bothers me about, about the whole, uh, Mormonism thing. You have Christians saying, but they say, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and they say, they say the same terms that we use. Mm-hmm. It sounds just like what we say. And they're Christians. They're saying they're Christians because they said the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean... We tell us they, Christians come to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. 
Let's go through this apologetic series. But in all seriousness, though, they had, the Mormons have spent millions of dollars on a publicity campaign to try to say that we are just another Christian denomination and we're family-friendly, we're family-oriented, family-centered, and that's what we're about. We're good, wholesome, clean people, and we like Jesus. But if you don't go beyond the rhetoric and say, well, what do you mean? Who is Jesus? Who am I? Then it just stops there. It's like that statement from Spencer Kimball that we showed there a minute ago. That's very deceptive if you're somebody searching this this one statement there. Yeah. It's it's somebody that's really searching for something that is right there. And it's very enticing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it appeals to our, ultimately our pride, if we want to get down to it, saying that you can do this, and it rides on you. So for, for a Mormon, what's the point of becoming a god? It's to rule over a planet and populate it with spirit children. So ladies, heaven. All right. I don't think we need to say anything more about that. That's basically the self Absolutely. Right, right, and that's that. That's really we're probably going to have to just stop tonight because I don't, honestly I don't know if I can handle studying it anymore. If I can just be honest, it's very very frustrating to me. So uh, it really is. It, it's just it's just so far out there. I'm I'm sorry, but um, salvation. The focus is on becoming worthy, and Ronnie, we're getting to it. This is from uh, Kimball. Former president and prophet, quote, This progress toward eternal life is a matter of achieving perfection, living all, check this out, living all the commandments, there are over 4,300 in Mormonism, guarantees total forgiveness of sins and assures one of exaltation through that perfection which comes by complying with the formula the Lord gave us. Time out. Is he serious? Dead serious. Remember what Jesus did? And it's, it's one of those moments that you, you have to have kind of a dry sense of humor when you read the Bible. It's when Jesus says, just keep the law and you'll live. Same thing. But Jesus was doing that to bring them to their knees saying, keep the law? Who can do that? The Apostle Paul said that the law was given to bring the knowledge of sin. He's serious and he's saying that if you live all the commandments... You're guaranteed total forgiveness. So like Lee was saying, it appeals to people who are searching and people are trying to live out perfectly all the commandments. Not just of what's in the Bible, but all of the jots and tittles of Mormonism. But the logic here is that Godhood equals perfection, right? And in order to be perfect, you have to have no sin. So good luck. Well, you're trying you're trying to achieve perfection through doing things the right way. But either you're perfect or you're not. Well, but if you can, if you just get really good at, at that, I know I agree, and that's where, where most of the religion. I mean, even religions that teach that you can do certain things that will pay for sins. It's like, well, how exactly does does that work? In Christianity, it's very 
What's that? What's the price? How do I know? Yeah, in Christianity, it's very logical. It's very logical. Church history, um, Gregory of Nazianzus, great, great early Christian leader said that what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed. In other words, when Jesus assumed human flesh, when he came as one of us, he died as one of us, 100% human. He was our sacrifice. So faith in Jesus, because he was a human, that's why the Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sin. Why? (laughs) They're not human. They're not one of us. But Jesus was one of us, but yet he did what none of us could do combined, perfectly keep the law. Faith in him, his righteousness is applied to us. It's very logical. In Mormonism, it's simply not. Um, Marriage and salvation. Brigham Young said, quote, the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Alright, so y'all all going to hell. Um, Wilford Woodruff, fourth president of the church, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, said, quote, if, if we were to do away with polygamy, now catch this, then we must do away with prophets and apostles, with revelation, the gifts and graces of the gospel, and finally give up our religion to all together. And to that I say thumbs up. Joseph Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, a later president, said, quote, Without it, speaking of polygamy, we could never be exalted to associate with and become gods. Doctrines and covenants, we don't have time to read this, but in chapter 132, verses 61 and 62, it says that you need to practice polygamy. And if you take more wives, guys, as long as you're a Mormon, you are not guilty of adultery. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Just because people did it in the Bible doesn't mean that God approved it. This is Deuteronomy where God said, don't multiply wives. And we all know about Solomon's polygamy. Orson Pratt said, the Lord has said that those who reject the principle of polygamy reject their salvation and they shall be damned. Alright? Here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. If Joseph Smith and the early Mormon leaders taught the necessity of polygamy, what should we think of the Mormon church since 1890? The official Mormon church, or at least the one that we recognize out in Utah, since 1890 they've said, we don't practice polygamy. Some still do, And there is actually one sect of Mormons that still teach and practice Mormonism. But since 1890, based upon what they've said about polygamy, what should we think about Mormons who don't practice it since that time, and really the Mormon church as a whole? Right. Yeah, you're apostate. You've, you've, You've lost the truth. Because it was, there was, there was no quarter given uh, on that. Here's an official LDS statement, and uh, we'll just read through this quickly to finish it. At various times, the Lord has commanded His people to practice plural marriage. And notice, track with the logic here, how easy they can make exceptions. For example, He gave this command to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Solomon. Question, anything in your Bible say that God ever commanded them to do that? No, but what's the source? Doctrines and Covenants 132 verse 1. Where did that come from? Joseph Smith. Mr. 37 wives, and not counting who knows how many other encounters. At other times, the Lord has given other instructions. In the Book of Mormon, the Lord told the prophet Jacob, 
nor shall there nor there shall not any man among you have save it be one wife and concubines he shall have none for if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me. I will command my people, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. And Jacob. That's a book that Joseph Smith made up, like an addendum, another book to the Bible. And the, the official LDS statement continues. In this dispensation, the Lord commanded some of the early saints to practice plural marriage. The prophet Joseph Smith and those closest to him, including Brigham Young and Heber Kimball, were challenged by this command, but they obeyed it. Mm-hmm. They were challenged by it. That's what's called, I want to do what I want to do, but if I can say that God told me to do it, I don't have to answer in a moral sense. Those entering into it had to be authorized to do so, and the marriages had to be performed through the sealing power of the priesthood. In 1890, President Wilford Woodruff received a revelation that the leaders of the church should cease teaching the practice of plural marriage. Question. Anybody know what happened a few years after this? What's that? Bingo. Utah became a state. The connection is the official declaration banning polygamy was in 1890, and Utah became a state on January 4th, 1896. Utah had applied for statehood for decades, but the United States at that point was a little bit more sane than we are now in regards to marriage. And they said, no, if you're legally in your state giving marriage licenses, quote-unquote, to one man and his however many women you can't actually function according to American law. So, are, are they willing to suffer for their beliefs? Question. Question. All right. Quickly, how to share the gospel with Mormons. Take their works-based understanding of salvation to its logical results. Say, okay, so the point is to achieve godhood. Got it. What do you have to be to be a god? You have to have perfection. Well, how do you achieve perfection? You have to have no sin. Do you sin? And then we can go to the Ten Commandments. Say, have you ever told a lie? I've told a lie. What would you call me? A liar. Have you ever looked in lust? Or have you ever used God's name in vain? Have you ever coveted anything? If they're being honest with you, everybody has sinned. And if we're being really honest, most of us sin each and every day. So then we, once we do that to bring the knowledge of sin, to see how this achieving godhood, even within their own system, is impossible, then we go to the cross to see Jesus, who's an example of true sinlessness. And then finally, we explain repentance and faith. Repentance, that's true sinlessness, or it's changing from sin and turning to Christ, and then faith in Christ, total trust in Christ. So you can just, for the purposes of arguments, let them build that case that you can become a God. What do you have to do to become a God? Something that none of us could ever do, and that's sinless perfection. But we know someone who was, and his name is Jesus, and he is mighty to save. So you can make much of the grace of God by showing how Mormonism is bankrupt of grace.